people. <laughs> this is Tyler. This is Danny. This is episode 130 motherfucking two of Fried Squirms, where we're going to talk about some tigers are not afraid. But before we get to that, how are you doing? I'm doing well, dude. It's been a good week, for the most part, aside from us just recently talking about the film we went and seen, Three from Hell. It's been a laid-back week as far as like movie watching. I did get back into watching some Sabrina season oh, two so entertaining if you've seen it you know it's definitely geared towards a different audience than me per se mm-hmm. but i still enjoy it i think it's fun i really watched transylvania 6 5000 the other night that was awesome hell yeah i actually had this entire week off and so i've been up to a lot but i also haven't really been up to that much like yeah i know what you mean there dude mm-hmm. well since the time between our last recordings i've actually taken up some assistant coaching soccer wise well, technically in the time between our last recording you like sat there well yeah technically yeah <laughs> but between our full episode yeah yeah i got um asked if i wanted to be a part of a local high school varsity and junior varsity soccer team as far as coaching so yeah it's been fun man one of our former guests on the show jeff my brother-in-law he's the other assistant coach so yeah it's been fun yeah. man yeah i went to a couple concerts and yeah shit. how was that? that was awesome fucking black label society down at the wilma that was so tits to see fucking zach wild live yeah he showed me some video oh, and dude, some pictures i was right up pictures. front so he fucking played like a 10 minute solo on fire it up where he walked through the entire crowd and up to the balcony and had a guitar duel with his rhythm guitarist and walked all the way back down soloing with his guitar behind his head and a fucking yellow and black kilt like it was killer (laughs) hell yeah dude Um, i heard it got pretty rowdy at the other show you went to oh yeah fucking social d flogging molly i mean i was up on the grass so i don't know how rowdy it really got (laughs) i couldn't see the fight actually happening but i know a fight happened because i saw security going to go deal with it (laughs) wild I don't know. That was a really cool show, too. But like I said, that one, I wasn't like up front and shit. I was back on the grass. Like, yeah, you were having a good time. So, yeah, went out and sang some karaoke this week. Nice. And then just like sat on my ass and played a lot of fucking video games. So Hey, right there with you. Understandable. Yeah, so it sounds like we've had a pretty good week off in between. But, dude, yeah, I'm uh, really looking forward to talking about this. This is a film that we've actually mentioned several times before because of some of the news bits that we do. Oh, right, because it's recently, within the last year, been hitting, like, the genre festival circuit and getting great praise from, like, Stephen King and yeah. Guillermo del Toro and Neil Gaiman, so... It's ain't a lot when you're throwing those names out there. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, so in between that, I did pick up a couple of news articles that I thought was worth mentioning, just because we've been away for a little bit. So we've covered a Fulci film in the past... So what I've got here is apparently the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences are announcing a special October screening of Fulci's Zombie 2. So for those who have never seen it, it looks like it's going to be screened uh, Saturday, October 19th. This is apparently at the Metrograph, but it's going to take place at 730. For those who are around that area have never seen a Fulci or are fans of Fulci's Zombie 2, Go check it out. It's pretty cool seeing films like that on the big screen. All right, so the next news I have is for fans of the Evil Dead movie and series. It has been announced the first wave of locations and dates for its new 4K restoration. It's coming to theaters, so for people who live in major metropolitan areas, it's going to start actually tomorrow, so by the time you've heard this, 
this past Tuesday. <laughs> it's going to be playing in Vancouver. It's going to get its Canadian premiere. Then, of course, down in Texas on October the 4th. And it's going to run all the way through December 20th through the 24th. So if you live in a major area, if you want to check out the 4K restoration of Evil Dead, definitely do it, man. That movie is so good. All right, so the next news I have is the new 4K restoration of The Shining is going to be in the theaters for two nights ahead of Dr. Sleep. So it's another one of those films I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm sure we'll probably talk a little bit about it after we go check it out. But it looks like on September 26th and October 1st, you'll be able to go check that out. It's going to get a 4K remastering of the original 35mm. So... (laughs) If you haven't seen The Shining, or if you want to see it's brand new and polished, definitely check that out. We talked about it in the past, too. Like, that 4K restoration was overseen by JJ, wasn't it? I think so. Like, they pumped a ton of money into that 4K Oh, I'm sure it's going to look amazing. Yeah. I already pre-ordered it on 4K. Ah, nice, dude. I don't blame you. It's going to look so good. (laughs) All right, so this is another one of those films we've actually covered. Not too long ago, we've actually made mention of the fact that it's getting a third movie as a part of its trilogy. So as of right now, The Collected is filming in Atlanta. And we've already mentioned some of the names who are returning. Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton, the guys who wrote and directed, are returning. The stars Josh Stewart of the first two films and Emma Fitzpatrick are returning. It looks like we've got Randy Havens, who was in Stranger Things. He was the AV teacher, Yeah, if you've ever seen the show. Dot Marie Jones, who is in American Horror Story and Three from Hell, she's going to be in it. And Navi Rawat, who was in Feast and in the collection, are joining. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I know we've talked about the fact, too, that Tom Atkins has been reported that he's going to be a major player in this film. So, Mm -hmm. it might be pretty decent, dude. We'll see what happens. We'll see. I'm pretty excited. So, next bit of news is a film we just recently, like, technically recently talked about which is uh, Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. It has been reported that it just made under $2 million in the three nights that it premiered. Uh, and 900 theaters. Yeah, that is crazy. That's good news, though. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you talked about the fact that it's going to get pumped out for one more night because of that. So if you haven't seen it, if it's playing close by or within driving distance, it's going to play one final time on Monday, October the 14th. This is all being done through Fathom Events and it stuff, is. too. I think there's an exclusive poster for that night as well. Nice. Yeah, Fuck yeah get your hands uh, on not it. Not the same one that we're getting. That's okay. I'm but happy with the one we're getting. But also different than the theatrical one. Hell yeah. I'm sure they'll fetch a nice penny for those who are looking to sell it, bastards. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> shit happens. I And as a part of that news, it has been announced that Three from Hell is getting a 4K and Blu-ray release in October. And it's going to come with a four-part documentary. So... For, I also already pre-ordered. Uh, it's like for fans that. like myself, the special I feature. I want to convince Rob to do another one by sending more money. I know, time, right? So. Couldn't hurt. So the four-part documentary, it's going to be available on 4K and Blu-ray. Only part one is going to be available if you get it on DVD. And the name of that is called To Hell and Back, The Making of Three from Hell. So. Okay. That'd be pretty dope. And you also, of course, get an audio commentary with Rob Zombie. It's unrated, and I don't know how much gets added back in, but... You never know. One last bit of news, and that kind of rounds up the news that caught my eye. So we've talked about the ongoing lawsuit with Sean Cunningham 
and the Friday the 13th series, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here's something that's kind of interesting because this one, for me, it slipped right under the radar, but... I saw this headline. I didn't read pretty it. pretty interesting, it. yeah. So the U.S. rights to a nightmare on Elm Street have reverted back to Wes Craven's estate, and I believe that's here for just the states, okay. right? Not in Europe and, and elsewhere, but it's kind of interesting to see what happens with that because... From what I read is after 35 years, the writers, they have a right to get their property back if they choose to seek it out, right? And so for people who were a part of the estate for Wes Craven decided to do that and they got it back. I don't know what that means because New Line Cinema is a big player in that too, so. I would put my money on. They now have the rights to farm it back out again. Maybe not overseas, so I'm sure there'd still have to be some haggling going on. I would imagine, yeah. But I think we're going to end up with a Blumhouse Freddy. That would be fucking dope. I mean, we know the model. We know it's going to make its fucking all the money it needs to make. I just hope they have a better vision than the other remake. I think Blumhouse is going to show the family, though. Like, we'll give you. I'd be okay with that. Like, you guys aren't going to get much from us up front because we're not going to put much money into this up front. Well, yeah. But, like, we'll give you points on it because you're the Craven estate. And then when this blows up and becomes a $100 million, $200 million, $300 million movie, yeah. you guys are going to see your payout. You know, because it is, like, the season, not that it's, you know, recent, but this is kind of like we're in the midst of the throes of the remakes, right? So this is another one of those franchises that... For new audience members, it's a great way to get back into a franchise. If I was Craven Estate, I'd be calling Blumhouse on the phone right fucking. Oh, time. yeah. Them. I couldn't see A24 because it'd be probably no, too art housey for too them. Art but, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing an art house Freddy. That'd but... be fucking dope, wouldn't it? Like maybe even a one off. I think, I don't know if he'd get anything done though. I think he'd be too filled with ennui and just. I'm okay with that. <laughs> just a lazy, lackadaisical <laughs> Freddy. That'd be kind of neat. <laughs> He gives up nightmares and just goes starts hanging out in people's daydreams. I gotta live my dreams too. <laughs> he goes on a quest to enter his own dreams. <laughs> you never <laughs> like, know, right? We're writing the art house Freddy right now. We just wrote the script. <laughs> <laughs> he accidentally incepts himself with evilness as he brings his taint into his own dreams. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with that. We'll probably hear some news down the road, but yeah, that pretty much rounds out the news that I ran across and runs into scary Terry. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's been a pretty good week for the most part. And once again, I am excited to talk about this film. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into the guts and bolts of uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Ooh. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts. Tigers Are Not Afraid. I'll start with a spoiler-free synopsis. Fuck, I didn't think about this one at all. A group of orphans in cartel country, Mexico, have to deal with the situation of their life of just living in cartel country, Mexico, but also deal with, how am I going to put this, possibly being hunted for something one of them has with some supernatural overtones. Yeah. There's some horror elements, there's some fantasy elements, there's some fairy tale elements. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I know you're going to get a, a little bit of all of that, which is fun. So, from week to week, we do like to talk about our cast and our crew, and I'll lead off with our director and our writer on this film, and that is Isa Lopez. And this is her third film, and her other two films that she directed 
were Efecto Sucundarios and Casadivas, and she's also known for her work on Toto Mal and Three Sundays. Now, she actually helped write for those as well. Toto Mal just came out, didn't I it? believe so. Something like that? Okay. Yeah, some of the other writing credits that she has to her name are Ladies' Night, Bad Girls, Pulling Strings, and 600 Miles. Our cinematographer on the film is Juan Jose Saravia, and he's known for being the DP on such films as This Is Not a Movie, The Last Death, and Richness of Internal Space, along with Matando Cabos. Our editor is Joaquin Marti, and they are known for being the editor on the films Ovejo Negra and Pariso Paradido and the film Road to Mars. The music was composed by Vincent Pope, and he's known for composing the music on the television series Misfits from 2009 through 2013. Misfits is the shit. He actually helped compose the music for an episode of Black Mirror in the UK. The television series No Offense from 2015 through 2018, and more recently, the film Goodbye Berlin. Okay. All right, the special effects was done by Flipbook Studio. It was produced by Marco Polo Constance. The production companies were Filmador Nacional and Pelagrosa. The distributors were Videocine. They helped with the worldwide theatrical release and Shudder. Help with the more recent streaming service, <laughs> which is say, really cool. That's what I watched it on. Likewise, all right. The release date was September twenty fourth, two thousand seventeen. So we're actually one day away from its two year anniversary. It made its USA premiere at the Fantastic Fest, and it premiered October thirty first, two thousand seventeen, in Mexico at the Morbido Film Fest. Ooh, so here a little bit of trivia. And partially how this movie ends up getting regarded as a horror movie to begin with. Not that it's not a horror movie, but it wasn't necessarily made to be a horror movie. Right. And this probably fits better in this section rather than the how it did it make you squeal. I actually did some research this week. Nice. I read some interviews with Issa Lopez. She shopped this movie around to all the big festivals. None of them wanted it. It's only when she started turning to genre festivals like Fantastic Fest and a few others that I can't think of off the top of my head, that they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. This is probably way more high class than what we're going to show. Like, It's awesome. So genre being, you know, a more catch-all term for, like, horror, sci-fi, fantasy. Right, it makes sense. So it was those kind of places that would start picking it up, and they're like, okay, it's a horror movie, and horror audiences would go in, and they'd all come out, and they'd either be like, it's not quite horror, but I really liked it. Or they'd be like, this is a great horror movie. Yeah. So. It's a good word of mouth, too, when you start and get play in those mm-hmm. kind of circuits. So, yeah, good on her. That probably says a lot about this movie, too, really, and kind of the overall feel to it. But Yeah, and that's really cool, man. So we can move along into our cast. Actually, there's a group of young kids who actually make their film debut. It's hard, kind of hard to tell, considering how well they did. Holy shit, maybe some of the best kid acting we've ran across. I highly agree. Phenomenal. So I'll lead off with the main actress, perhaps her protagonist in this film, and that's played by Paolo Lara. She plays the role of Estrella in the film. And along, of course, with being in Tigers and Art of Rage, she was a part of El Chema TV series from 2016, and she was also in the film La Siberia. And Juan Ramon Lopez, he plays El Chine. This is his one and only credit as of to date. We have Hansel Casillas. He plays the role of Tuxi. 
He was also in the television series entitled La Rosa de Guadalupe from 2014 and 15. He was also in Sidiados, Mexico in 2019. And he was also in Todos las Pecas del Mundo. All right, Rodrigo Cortez, he plays Pop. He kind of rounds up. Well, there's one other. They didn't give him. It's kind of sad. They didn't, they didn't title him. Oh, okay. But Rodrigo Cortez plays Pop in the film. His only other role is Animo Juventud. And we have Ianos Guerrero. He plays the role of Caco. He's been in quite a few films. He was actually in Lopez's Casa Divas. He was also in the television series The Return from 2013. He was in The Noble Family. He was in Club de Cuervas from 2015 through 2019. The television series Blue Demon in 2016 and 17. And La Bandida in 2018. All right. And the last actor I have is Tino Cuerta. He played El Chino. He was in Casa Divas, Days of Grace, Sin Nombre. He was actually in a James Bond film. He was Inspector, oh, which is really cool. He was also in the television series Blue Demon. and I also still haven't watched Spectre. It's actually not bad, dude. It's pretty decent. That's what I, I like I Daniel just, Craig. I like Daniel Craig. I just, I don't know. I feel like I followed too much leading into that movie and knew too much about it. And <laughs> I was just like, I don't <laughs> really care right now. And I just haven't got back around to it. Yeah. Well, it's just not a bad entry at all. And uh, Tinoch was also in Narcos Mexico in 2018. That's a television series. So one of the actors, I wish they would have given him credit, was Moro, mm. little Morito. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that pretty much rounds out our cast, our crew. You gave us a brief synopsis. We do have oh. to give some warnings on this with guy. With the cast and crew, with the cast at least and the kids, the one other little bit of trivia that I picked up from the Issa Lopez interviews, her casting director... Saw six hundred. Yeah, I saw that. She said and she saw Isla like two hundred. About two hundred. Yeah, yeah. I watched a couple of interviews with her. It was really cool. Yeah, she's just like I have no idea what I want. So open no casting. She said that I think her <laughs> casting director worked on City of. It wasn't oh, City of Lost Room, but like City of God. I think. I think you're right. Which is a Brazilian film. Really fucking good. It makes sense considering that film and this film, mm-hmm. having to deal with kids in poverty essentially. So makes sense. But yeah. Some of the warnings in this film, language, even though lots you're of language, it. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of language, and it's kids cussing too. Yeah, there are some non-PC terms, yeah, which is kind of interesting, <laughs> and it's really funny too because there's a couple terms that change depending oh, on how yeah. they're being used too. <laughs> I totally agree. If you know even a little bit of Spanish, you know that some of that stuff is that subtitling is not quite correct. <laughs> Or is technically correct, but you're like, they're taking poetic license, because that's not exactly what no, he said. No, 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 That's I, what he said, but that's not what he said. But no, that's not how he meant it exactly. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's it's interesting. You or get... sometimes it's like, that's how he meant it, but that's not what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so along with the language, there is a little bit of gore. Just a little bit. A little bit. Of course, there's violence. There's... Considering the source, you don't see drug use, which is interesting, which is kind of me too. I agree. That was a little bit weird, but especially looking back on it. Yeah. Gunplay. You're going to see some dead bodies. I think the big one, and this is a minor spoiler, but I think it's the biggest warning that you can give about this movie is that there is violence towards children. There is. Yeah. So if you're not comfortable with that, you might tune out. It's not gratuitous. No. So, you know, you don't have to worry about that, but... Neither is this a family movie. No, it's definitely not. Maybe yeah. a good date movie. Like, you want to impress somebody by, like, watching a foreign film that's, yeah. like, a little bit dark and yeah. a little bit more dangerous than, like, your normal, like, 
feel good French flick, like romance flick. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to you want to create a little bit of, uh, of a different vibe. Yeah, this is it. So maybe not like someone like you're just starting to get. Oh with, no, 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 but no, no, like no. Maybe somebody you've already seen but, a little bit. Like, yeah, like you mentioned some names. If you're comfortable with like Del Toro and Stephen King, oh, game and stuff like that. If you're comfortable with Del Toro stuff, like oh, this gonna, is perfect. Yeah, this is perfect. So yeah, good complimentary kind of movie entry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So aside from that, it's not too bad actually overall. It's pretty tame in comparison to a lot of shit we've done, but it has its moments where I was really surprised. Me too. I guess let's just get into it so we can talk about it more. There's your warnings. Buck up, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) How does that make you squeal? All right, we're starting in on this because we almost started having a conversation off mic. (laughs) And it was sort of the thing that I wanted to open up talking about this movie about to begin with. Because there's going to be a large portion of the audience, maybe not a large, but there's going to be a, a portion of the audience who watches this movie, listens to our episode and goes... You guys are a fucking horror podcast. Why the fuck are you guys talking about another dark fantasy fairy tale? <laughs> I know, right? Like, you guys just did November, like... True that. We didn't just do November, did we? Uh, but, like, that was a bit no, ago now, wasn't it? But, I mean, in relativity, yeah, I guess you could call it more recent. Yeah, you guys have been doing all sorts of weird folk shit, and we're like, yeah, but Satan. We get around. <laughs> and then this is another dark fairy tale, and it kind of is... This one, I, I understand why it would split an audience. Like, there was, like, three or four different times in my notes where I almost, like, made notes back and forth where I was just like, oh, no, this is a horror movie. No, this really isn't a horror movie. Oh, no, this is a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it does, it dances around a lot of different themes. It is interwoven. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to view this movie, but I think how much you consider this to be a horror movie depends on how much just the horror of the situation they're in in the first place lingers in the back of your mind while you're watching Yeah, no doubt. I think that would lend a big hand to you maybe leaning in that direction for sure. I mean, for the most part, the kids seem to be having a good time, but this isn't a situation that people should be having to live in. And not not. because of such stupid fucking reasons as goddamn drug cartels. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the movie itself opens up with that. I mean, it at least gives you some exposition on... The situation with the drug cartel stuff that's been happening since 2006, how many people have been murdered and how many people go missing, and then it lets you know that children, they have no numbers for the children. And it's like, oh, shit, it's already opening up. Like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, atros numbers. <laughs> My first note is atros. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that a little bit, too. This is, for a movie that's this much of a fairy tale, it should not remind me so often of Atros. I know, right? But it's true. This is a movie that is taking place in the same world as Atros. Certainly is. I mean, it's giving you it's a social commentary. Level. I mean, we're in the spoiler section now, so we can skip ahead to the end. You saw how those fucking victims were wrapped up in shit. Oh, yeah. Like, shit was going on Atros style. Like, Yeah, yeah. We just weren't seeing it at that level, but it's definitely going on. Yeah. That's kind of like the fucked up horror part of this movie. Is like how Absolutely. much are like you processing that in the background of what's going on? Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's not necessarily horror by maybe traditional standards or definitions, but it definitely is a horror. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's like that right supernatural horror. Oh yeah, for movie. sure. You but can't deny that. No, my very first note is atros, and I'm like, <laughs> what the. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, so it gives you those numbers, and it kind of gives you a little bit of a cult opening with some of these characters, because you don't know them quite yet, 
but it just gives you kind of the magnitude of maybe what these kids are getting themselves into. That opening seemed so much more sinister the first time through rather than like actually knowing the situation. But I mean, in the end, even if he would have pulled the trigger in the beginning, it probably would have ended up even worse for the kids. Like, let's be honest, like Shine by himself <laughs> yeah. isn't going to keep it together. No, 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 no. Hell no. Well, not only that, but it, it changes the trajectory of the whole point of what we do get in the first place is that the kids weren't responsible for a death that perpetuated certain things in the film. You know, if he would have killed him right then and there, it would have changed the whole narrative for all those kids and the main players in the film, mm-hmm. including Chino. But it seems so much more sinister in the beginning when you have yeah, no you'd context. have no clue. Yeah, I'm like, oh shit, this kid's going off this dude. And to be fair, I'm, I'm like, it's a straight kid in cartel Mexico. Like this dude probably definitely has it coming if this is going to happen. Yeah, but it's, it's like still, it's it's a it's lot more fucked social up. justice. Yeah, <laughs> on a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Three Wishes is one of the big notes that I have in this film. And the way that it's given to our main characters through a school shooting, which is another fucking messed up part, right? So you're dealing with orphans, street kids, right? Mm -hmm. And survival. And then even for kids who are a little bit more normalized, who have a normal, you know, schedule, I suppose. going to school. Right, yeah. And live in a house. Boom. And then (laughs) you get a school shooting. And this is on top of our main character, Australia having to write a fairy tale involving certain elements, right? And then on top of it, because of that, and to keep the imagination going for her, her teacher gives her three pieces of chalk and said that's her wishes. And those like come fairy tale. Right, and those come into play in a major she way in this film. She fucking said just like a fairy tale, because wishes and fairy tales never go right. No. And these wishes don't either. That's the other fucked up part of this movie. Well... A little bit of my research, too. I watched an interview that D.L. Toro and Lisa Lopez had at the TIFF, oh, okay. Toronto International Film Festival. And she's like, yeah, there's a lot of elements are borrowed from other stories. She's like, one of the big stories that she enjoyed growing up was her father used to tell her stories of the monkey's paw. Right. And so she's like, this is basically what that is. She's like, the wishes is a way for her to escape, but that's not the reality of the situation. It's more or less making her responsible for those actions right they have consequences so it ties it back to her in reality so she's just like yeah that's why i incorporated that into this film you know it's just telling it in a different manner of course as someone who browses a lot of tvtropes.net my first thought was jackass genie <laughs> yeah and as a horror fan my first thought was wishmaster <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome which makes the very end of this movie really weird because it's really touching that she gives up her last wish the way she does. Yeah, I know, right? It is but fucked. at the same time, it's like she even warned him earlier these wishes don't go right. Right, right. It's what like made her think that this wish was going to go right? Because as I soon as she did that, I'm like, I'm about to watch a kid get capped. This fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Correct again. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it is sad. But I think what it does, at least in the way that Lopez is telling this narrative, is that you can't get too detached from the reality of the situation that these kids are in outside of this film. So you want to have or be hopeful that, yeah, she marks him and it gets rid of his scar and shit. <laughs> Complete opposite of that. Well, I mean, I mean it does in a way. <laughs> so the other thing when you read this, there's a supernatural aspect to this movie 
But this is another one of those movies where you can read that, like, none of that's actually happening. That's just explaining what's actually happening. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, and so you can read that entire last scene as, like, she marked him, but the real mark was the fact that she convinced him to call him up to make this deal in the first place. Yeah. It ultimately was the right thing to do because of how it works out on the whole, but that doesn't mean that you're not directly putting yourself in the face of a murderous drug dealer. Yeah, exactly. Cold-blooded killer. He was marked. Yeah. Not, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. There is a lot of that, which is, it's sad. It's a bleak reality, you know, because you're not expecting, A, to have kids murdered in this film, and B, when it does happen, for me at least on the social commentary level, it's like, that's just the harsh reality of the situation, is that she's showing you things that normally that, you know, you're going to sugarcoat it. You know, whereas like, no, this is the actual situation. These kids like him and Moro die all the fucking time, unfortunately. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, how much of it do you want to root in fantasy, this film, you know? Yeah. I have one more note about what's fantasy and what might not be in this movie, but I think we can get there eventually. Because there's some other things. I do want it like, some of the fantasy portion is like... God, their existence sucks, but I'm not going to lie. Like, some of the shit I was kind of jealous of. <laughs> like, if you didn't have to live on those fucking rooftops. Yeah. If that was just, like, your hangout spot as a kid, those fucking rooftop hangout spot was fucking killer. I, <laughs> that that's mansion awesome you bring that up. was. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. And that's, like, the fairy tale part. It certainly is. I mean, they make mention of what it reminds them of, Lord of the Rings. The fish? Yeah. Dude. I know, that right? That was fucking spellbinding. It was so beautiful to see on screen and just realized and like this weird little paradise for them to stumble into. That's not a paradise. No. There's still it... like, there is electricity. We see it being used, but there's not anything good for them and they're having to go steal food. And... Right. I think that's kind of the, those heartfelt moments is that these kids in the struggle of adversity, right? I mean, they're orphans. And they're street kids at this point, too, because they're having to survive on the and streets. And not normal orphans. No. Like fucked up cartel orphans. Of course. It wasn't because, you know, their parents, like you said, dropped them off at a doorstep of yeah. an, you know, whatever hospital. But these kids are victims of their environment. And they do have moments of being children and having joy and stuff captured. And uh, that says a lot about the spirit of people who can still realize like the the fucked up brevity of the situation they're in but still be able to to find joy in the little things you know mm -hmm. those are the fun moments like they're kicking the soccer balls around i love that i love the kid with the umbrella just oh, dancing in the so rain yeah that was a uh, pop wasn't it yeah i think it is pop who does okay. that yeah so it's just little things they're holding like little stage performances they're just taking those moments that otherwise it would be so bleak and dreary mm -hmm. and turning into something normalized i suppose yeah and who wouldn't like that as a kid to have these environments not under those circumstances you know so there is a little bit of freedom in that it's just a fucked up way of retaining it okay i guess from the beginning we know that shine has the gun mm -hmm. but it's not really apparent till later in the movie when like they get that little chase and like there's the shootout <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah and I, that got me thinking after that little bit right there, I'm like, it's realistic that they don't have the kids even attempt this. But not later on with where they go to, like, 
literally where like the cartel hideout is where they're dumping bodies and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This spa, guy whatever. has been a hundred fucking times. But just out in their streets, like with that gun and with the background violence and noise and shit happening all day, every day anyway, I think they could get to drop on them and just gradually take out all the Hawaskas. They probably <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Like it's realistic that they don't even try. It's a really bad idea. But at the same time, like, it got me thinking. I'm like, I think they could get the drop on him and pull this off. Safety in numbers. <laughs> I mean, we do see throughout the film that they're not just, you know, a one-off deal. It's like they meet up with Brian's gang. and I thought that was going to matter more. That's I did, too. That's one of my big peeves of this movie is that it's just that a plot five point minutes for the most point. seems useless. Yeah. I think what it does is it just helps transition to give it a reason why what happens happens. I would almost prefer that, like, we had, like, an extra, like, 20 minutes there that just sort of examines a little bit more, like, how these kids yeah. survive and interact in this. Because that's a good time, to. because otherwise we're just focused on this one gang. If you run into another one, you introduce even some sort of stakes for a small B-plot, but then also you use it to show more of the situation and what they're having to do to survive. Yeah, like, because these are older kids, mm-hmm. but... Once again, they're still orphans and they're street kids. And how long have they been in that situation? We don't know, you know. And they're antagonistic, but even though they're only like four of these little kids, they're not, or five of them or whatever, they're not immediately beating them down either. You right, know what I right, mean? Right. Like they're still approaching nice and safe and they're not on friendly terms by any <laughs> means from the way they're talking at each other. But uh, That line he says, man, so funny. Yeah. He calls them pussy wipes. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. I thought it was funny. There could have been a lot more there. I kind of thought it was the first time through. Like, oh, cool, we get to see another little street gang of kids, and they're going to hold them up, hide them out for a bit. I think there might be some extra commentary there with how, like, they're burning the piano. I think so. There might be something there that's missing. But it wasn't something that jumped out to me enough where I'm like, oh, I see what she's saying. Yeah. I was just like... Well, in a sense, I know she mentioned, too, and Del Toro said this, too, in Mexico. It's like the middle class, they don't want to... In the back of their minds, they know, of course, all this should exist, but they kind of want to ignore it. I think that could be a way of, like, you know, the kids burning down a symbol of status, mm-hmm. you know, like a piano, stuff like that. But she even mentioned it, too. She's like, once you attain a certain level, people just basically build on the third world, which is the kids and all the drug stuff that's happening. But it's brought up because of the drugs in the first place. So you, you can't help but recognize it, mm-hmm. you know. Didn't Del Toro's dad get kidnapped or some shit for a bit? Oh, I I don't know. I'd have to re-look back into that. It wouldn't surprise me, considering, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel like he's mentioned before in interviews that, like, he doesn't go back because, like, his dad got napped for a bit. And I think he got back and, like, paid some ransom and shit. That's fucked. But, yeah, I can see that happening, man. It's sad. I might be wrong on that. Somebody... I mean, I'm, I'll fact check myself later. Don't fucking email us calling me a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, regardless, it would make sense. Even if it's not Del Toro, it, it could happen to a number of people, mm-hmm. you know, given the, the circumstances. No, unfortunately, now, this is kind of a, on a tangent, but a lot of it has to do with our politics, too. Major part of it. Yeah. Hey, by the way, like, this is the sort of shit that people are trying to leave from. Yeah. This is why. Like, it's not... I'm not getting a job here, so I'm going somewhere else. Of course, man. That shit's so played out. The whole they took our job stuff. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here with that stupid shit. Yeah, it's because it's parents aren't wanting their kids to grow up to have to live like this. Yeah, it has nothing to do 
with how they're living, like these the families that are coming over. It's the circumstances they're put in. Think about that. If we were thrown in that same situation, whether it's then in, you're doing what you can to survive. Come on, it's just it makes sense, you know. You see Canadians doing the same shit we're doing. No, I don't think so. So keep that in mind. Like, there's a bigger picture at play. Don't buy into the bullshit narrative. I couldn't help but think about that shit while watching this movie and seeing like these circumstances. Not like I don't know what's going on, and not saying this is like a hundred percent accurate. Right, but we're but pretty. It's the aware. type of thing that makes you think about it. And like one of my notes is like. I almost like in solidarity, like want to get a tattoo of that fucking tiger. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I know. That shit was dope, man. <laughs> Which, you know, I mentioned earlier is like, you know, I've been coaching soccer and one of the major teams in Mexico is Tigres. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. It's like it's a symbol. It's it's revered. So it makes sense to have the title and the name too. And then having these kids venerate jaguars and pumas and panthers and, of course, tigers. Surprised they didn't go a little bit more of the jaguar. With, like, Aztec Jaguar Warriors. Yeah, that would make sense, too. Tigers aren't native to Mexico. No, no, no. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, that would make a lot more sense with Jaguars. But I also, but I get it. Like, I'm Mexican-American. Like, I get it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Fucking tiger, man, but... Yeah, you know, that makes me wonder, too, is, like, how much... How much if they did say Jaguars, they're like, that's right on the nose. Yeah. But no, like, while watching this movie, I'm just like, man, like, these kids make me want to get, like, this fucking tiger to be like, yeah, don't be fucking afraid, like... I love that narrative. It's how it builds up. Now, Lopez, too, said, and this makes sense, that when she wrote the script initially, she didn't have Estrella as, like, a vision or as a character. Uh, it was more told from El Chine. pretty much without Estrella. As yeah. She's the main character, and this movie works without her. It certainly could. But she <clears throat> said when they were editing, because of that character, she's like, you know what? I can combine a female protagonist and a male protagonist into one character, even though they're two separate in the film. So they're basically the same mm-hmm. version of themselves. So I thought that was kind of neat. It makes sense, too, perhaps at the end as well. You know, it's like she's growing up, so there's a part of herself that she has to leave behind, you know, killed off, so to speak. I might be me reaching a little bit, but I could see how you could read into that, too, a little bit. I don't know how purposeful this was, but I thought it was kind of interesting that Astrea writing things is associated with white and with the chalk because there's also a couple times where she like no fuck you ghosts yeah this is a lot this is the line i'm drawing (laughs) yeah contrasted with shiny he uses a little bit of white but he uses almost exclusively black spray paint exactly yeah it's more like the darkness the shadow etc yeah which is nice in this film like she uses a good contrast of white and dark you can't help but notice that also Fuck the police. Oh, man. Yeah, that was fucked. But it just shows you again the plight. They're lucky it didn't go down worse than that. It's like, yeah, get in the back seat. We're going to take you right to Gino. Right. That's kind of what I thought was going to happen. I thought, oh, this is is the last we're going to see of Pop and Yeah, Tuxi. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that's the last we're going to see of them. And instead they got the cops that are just like, oh, no, like my name is Paul. This is between (laughs) y'all. That's right. (laughs) That's right. I think we got a call. Let's go, Paul. (laughs) No thanks. Yeah, they got the best version of what could have happened. Man, there. Del Toro even said that. He's like, you know, he says typically the cops are the ones who are in bed with the cartels, so it could have played out a lot worse because usually it would. So yeah, you're right. They got off really light considering. Well, that's the thing. Going into this movie, there was one thing I knew because I had seen a headline from a news site talking about this movie, and I knew at least one of the kids bit the dust. By that point, 
Moro had already died. But then I'm like, oh, none of these kids are safe. You know what I mean? Like, nope. that opens it up. Like, also, that reminded me of Hardball. But Oh, uh, yeah, it kind of does, man. That's sad. <laughs> I was sitting there like, I love it when you call me Big Papa. <laughs> yeah, for those who know, you know. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, the most adorable yeah. character. But then I, I was like, they're fought. Well, that's, what, however, though, then I thought, like, we're going to end up with only Shiny and Estrella. Yeah. You would which, think that, right? I'm like, the rest of them are going to get killed and they're going to be kind of stuck together and he's still a kid and not quite grown yet and so he's going to be resentful of her and they're going to be kind of stuck in this bittersweet <laughs> situation where they're relying on each other to fucking survive. Yeah. But they both Gosh. kind of know that they fucked up in some ways. This movie reminds me of so many different movies we've done before. It's like, that sounds a little bit like Battle Royale <laughs> at the end, where they're both just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Even though they might necessarily want that relationship, it's the best for them. Stuff like that. I mean, she even mentioned that, you know, she couldn't help but borrow certain things from Del Toro, so it would make sense why he would so, want to work with her. The only movie I can easily compare this to is Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, it's... Which it's, is ridiculous. Like, how fucking, like... That's the thing, like... I get down on like the trip to see Bran being like nothing, but when the only movie you can compare this to is that much of a masterpiece, like that's yeah. how fucking good this movie is. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> and it shows like she has a unique vision and storytelling aspect because you know, when you're dealing with kids in films, especially kids who can act as good as this, it makes Holy some of that stuff more believable. Shit. I hope this gets these kids all the fucking roles. Yeah, knowing that this is their debut film, that says a lot, because this is not an easy act to follow, as far as like the way the script's played out, but I also read that she didn't let them read the script. She just, she wanted natural reaction, so I guess she more or less guided them through scenes, as opposed to them like reading and knowing what's going to happen. That kind of makes me wonder, too, I doubt that any of these kids have seen the film either <laughs> at this point. I don't even think she probably showed them the dailies. Right. I don't think I would have done that. Well, they fucking killed it. Yeah. Holy shit, they killed it. They did an excellent job, man. So they felt natural as a group, which I think they did a good job of that, too. They're like, they wanted those kids to feel natural, and they did. They even said that um, when the kids were hanging out offset, a lot of the boys were just kind of like trying to push away Paolo. She's like, that's, you know, that's what boys and girls do. And she basically came to a point where she fit in. Like, they accepted mm-hmm. her, and that's what happens in the film as well. Which is really cool. That's funny. All their interactions felt really natural to me. Yeah. Um, which is amazing. It's great. And considering, too, we know stuff about, like, child laws is you can only work with kids X amount of hours in a day. Mm-hmm. And I think they said that this was shot in, like, 36 days. So that says a lot, too. Okay. Like, they did a really good job, probably in the time that they had to shoot in. And we know a little bit about Mexico, and it's not easy shooting films in Mexico. So you have that to contend with. Right. I want to switch back over real quick to, like, the more supernatural aspect. Yeah, yeah, because there is a lot of that in this film. Maybe not a whole lot, but there's a a bit of it. It ties through. Eventually, you're like, oh, it's ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically. I mean, I suppose you could probably put it more specifically, but it's ghosts of the victims of this particular dude in the cartel. Yeah, the second time through in this film, the first time I'd seen the bloodline, I was like, oh, what the fuck is that? And it pretty much spells out things right at the beginning of the film, especially if you've seen it the first time. Oh, you're like, oh, it goes yeah. right to Chino Mom during that shot. advertisement in the dress. Yep. It's like, oh, shit. It pretty much tells her exactly. She just uh, hasn't pieced it together yet. 
It goes right through Chino. Yeah. It separates the mother and daughter in the picture and then stains the dress. Yeah, and it's like, oh, damn, that's fucked up. But that pretty much spells out everything. I mean, ultimately, it's that whole following the supernatural and mostly her mother, it seems like, although it didn't seem like... I mean, obviously, there are scenes with a bunch of the corpses and shit, but like, I don't think like the tiger was the mother. The tiger. No, 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 no. I think it, it tomorrow. Right, right, right. I think that was more or less like another one of those themes that they were playing on is that the tigers are protectors, mm-hmm. you know, and the kids are the people in the stories. They're princes, they're warriors, etc. They're tigers. So it's more symbolic. But some of it, considering how creepy as it was. Ultimately, all the supernatural stuff in this movie is intended to be for Estrella's benefit. Yeah. It seems like the creepiness of it was completely unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, in a way... <laughs> and the, like her running around a corner just to be confronted by more corpses and right. shit is like, that might not be the way to get all across right. your message. This, I think, I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> On the flip side, though, I think it's a very interesting way of doing that, too, because for children, you would think they would see ghosts more as, like, angelic, mm. as opposed to, like, corpses wrapped up in freaking plastic and shit, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, you didn't have to go that angle and be, like, super creepy with it. But, but I think also, it's effective, though. And if you want to read this movie as, like, you can read this movie as none of the supernatural is happening, and it's Estrella dealing with her situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in that case, it all fits because she's coming to terms with the horror of what's going on and her place in it now, especially yeah, probably her like stories she's she's and, heard, things she's seen. Mm-hmm. She's starting to piece it together. I think that's a perfectly valid reading in this movie. Which now that we're getting a bit towards the end and have talked about some of this end shit anyway, with like Shiny getting shot and shit, it brings my last big thing: Does she die at the end? Ooh, I mean, you could read it that way. You could. Does she trap both of them in that room mm. and self-immolate along with him? Because I don't think he gets out. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he comes right, in the right. room and shoots her or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I could see how you can interpret that. I would think that she is transitioning into like... I think with like the empowerment message that's going on over the top in the narration, we're not supposed to necessarily take it that way. I mean, it it's way. super ambiguous. But I think you can take it that way. Yeah. Kind of like the end of Pan's Labyrinth. Like... Oh, man. I don't want to talk about that shit. It's so sad. <laughs> but I think it's sort of the same I thing. Think you, like, yeah. Oh, you know, that's a good point. Because if you read it like Shine and her kind of being one and the same, you could read it like she got shot. Not necessarily Shine. Right. You know, not necessarily, but... Uh, or you can read it not as she got shot, but like everything sort of played out that way. Except... She wasn't on the outside when she trapped him. Right. She was on the inside. And right. And whatever they had doused the fucking corpses with was flammable, and she lit up Shine's thing. And Yeah. Oh, yeah. The lighter and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I could see that, too, as being like, that's how it actually ended. And this was like... And you get this little sequence with her meeting Shine and... Yeah. And in the afterlife, because he's dead. Maybe, yeah, the afterlife, or like her opening the doors into the afterlife, the idyllic... Mm-hmm. world she should have been living in i can see that too i don't think it necessarily jives with like the empowerment message right 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 but i mean top, you could but... i could totally see how you could read that though that would make total sense because of how bleak these situations are it's not a happy ending no 
the only other thing that really made me wonder about that is because I feel like in the true happy ending, we touch back in with Pop and Tuxie because they got away. But yeah, if anybody had a happy ending, it could be those two kids. Mm-hmm. They got out of the, the whole situation. Gino's gone and the uh, Waska's gone. gone. Yeah. So they made it out, at least in that situation. So I feel like in the happy ending, in the real happy ending, she meets back up with them, but that doesn't happen. No, no, no. She's by herself, like you were saying. So yeah, maybe she moved on. Not just like by herself, no but way. by herself. Afterlife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Opening into the most, arguably the most surreal portion of the film, because in no other scene does the surreality take no. up the entirety of this. No, I, I agree. Man, and if that's the case, if that's, the, you know, if the thing I think about this too is when you do leave these things ambiguous, is like they don't have to necessarily answer it the way that you want it. I think it's just a good way of interpreting something out of that situation. It could hold true for us, for whomever. I like it. I don't think there's a definitive answer necessarily. No. <laughs> for being helpful, once again, though, to back to my previous point, did the little fucking plush tiger seem super ominous to you for being just a little plush tiger? A little bit, yeah. Not necessarily evil, but ominous. Like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't good. Right, you don't necessarily, yeah, it's... All right, if we're reading it the way we just read it, right, then it's basically leading her into her death along with Chino's and kind of ending this whole shit. And the tiger thing, I think, brings me my one other weird gripe with the movie is that not necessarily super meta senses, but meta in the way that they're talking about tigers in the movie as ideas, mm-hmm. as like protectors and stuff, yeah, yeah. doesn't really jive with the way that they actually talk about the fact that true or not, and once again, we don't know if it's true because of how surreal this movie gets <laughs> at the very end, the kids at least half believe that there is a tiger out there that is a danger to them. Right, yeah. And I think that's the only other weird thing I had with this movie is I'm like, like in a weird idea sense, you have them idealizing these tigers. Right, but, but on the other hand... Like the threat of an actual tiger. Roaming the streets eating kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like they understand, I think to an extent that it means both. You know, it's like, yes, we venerate them through these ideas, but then there's the actual fact that there's a fucking tiger <laughs> that will eat you. <laughs> Tiger's going to tiger. Yeah, don't idealize them too much. Don't get too close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that too. It's kind of fucked up thinking about that. The thing I like about these films overall when they have social commentaries like this is it makes you think more about, I think, the larger picture at hand. It's like the film was crafted very well. I mean, all around, the script writing is really interesting. She said, too, that her mom passed when she was like eight years old, and she didn't realize it at the time that when she was writing the script, she was like actually kind of writing about herself. She's like, it took one of her friends on a like a, a drunken night. It's like, no, this whole script's about you. She's like, uh, the difference, of course, being that her mother passed from natural causes mm-hmm. as opposed to being an orphan, and her dad was a college professor. Right. So it wasn't like she was in the most dire of situations. She's like, she just never had a chance to say goodbye and kind of go through maybe the normal channel, so to speak, to say goodbye. So... With this, too, being set in Mexico, there are certain things that are associated with the dead that maybe here in the States doesn't translate. Oh, by the way, I'm calling it now. Like, we should all be on the lookout for, like, the wave of horror that's going to be coming out of Mexico within, like, in the next, like, five years. Five, six years, I think we're going to get a a few more just giant, awesome, 
maybe not I'd giant like it, but... maybe not giant financially but shit like this where yes yeah. some of it's going to be straight up horror but at least arguably horror that is like moving and thoughtful because you're going to have a whole generation of creatives that grew up in this situation absolutely absolutely and it's another one of those things too is we talk about whether you do it consciously or subconsciously is this is an influence in their lives so it's going to come out more so or less in an art form but another thing that too i was kind of getting at is with death being a theme in this film is that i'm not saying you or i but as a whole i don't think we see it quite as the same as mexicans see it and that death is just a part of normal life you know, right. it doesn't go away once you're dead. It's still a part of your culture. And uh, I was, that was the other thing this movie made me think of, especially when I was thinking about the fact, like, I think Mexico is going to have a horror surge here yeah, really soon. I could totally see that, dude. Um, but I'm like, like I'm Mexican-American, like half my family, like one of my best times I ever had with my family was my grandpa's funeral. See, and how many people can say that? Not very many. I've never had a good time at a funeral. No, and that's the other thing. Like, my other grandpa died, also from cancer. That was one of the saddest times I ever had in my life. Yeah. Because it was the other half of my family. That's what I'm getting at, too, is, like, my family is predominantly Irish, German, and my mom's half is German and Japanese. So, anytime somebody dies, it's a pretty heavy blow, you know? So, it's not, I won't say celebrated, it's not done in those channels. It's like, once somebody's gone, it's like, of course, you feel the brevity of it. But you're also not celebrating things, too, that you probably should be the way that, you know, down south, they will. It's like Mm -hmm. they're celebrating the life of the person, not necessarily the death, right? The death is just something that happens. You don't forget these people, and this is how you keep their spirit alive, I guess. Right. Everybody go watch Coco. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, that's why this movie, it does remind me of so many different things. And the more I think about the cultural themes of this film... I wish it was a little bit more prevalent here in the States. Since I'm sitting here predicting that we're going to get a wave of really good horror out of Mexico, which in some ways I think's already started. Like we have this on the extreme end of things. Oh, wow. Atros is like, as far as extreme movies go, is way up there. It is no highly doubt. regarded amongst that and community. we reviewed it. <laughs> so yeah, you know what I mean? we like, know it. And then you have shit like, I know Mexico Barbaro turned some heads. Yeah. Like, you got other shit coming up. I think as long as you have, like, Del Toro's in the world. Yeah. For a while now, like, he makes sure that people know, like, Mexico. Yeah, it's it's super important. But I'm curious, as we get a wider range of voices, what the commonality is going to end up being with the fact that those voices are coming from a culture that is more comfortable with death. Yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be interesting, man, to see that that wave. I think you're right. I think there is going to be a wave of, whether it is in Mexico or Latin America, it could be from South America, mm-hmm. you're going to feel a wave of that. And it's well, kind and of wasn't, happening. Wasn't Rec the original one, th- Mexican? Ooh, possibly. I'm not sure. I know I've heard of some other like really good. God, there was something I lo- I saw a trailer for that looked fucking killer. That thing's <laughs> coming out of Mexico. Oh, I don't know. I, I well, I know I can't think of it right now. It's because I'm fucking stoned. But <laughs> I ran into it while I was looking up shit on this movie. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, that looks really good. So yeah, I'm anticipating it. So hopefully they'll keep us at our word on that. But like I said, with the death theme in this film, as I say, typically with death. It's something that you don't gravitate towards where in this film, you know, it's not something that's sinister. It's something that's... It sucks. Yeah, it sucks. But in this sense, is like, 
it's guiding her through the film, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas usually it's guiding you to something really bad, your death, your untimely death, or, you know, something sinister is what I'm getting at. So that's why I like the contrast in this, too. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's just the way it's depicted. And it's still the idea of the dead being able to help the living. Right. Even if it's weirdly fucking creepy way of doing (laughs) it. Yeah. That's what it's like. It might not be the most picturesque way of relaying that message, but it's still pertinent nonetheless. Yeah. The non-creepy fantastical elements were cool, too. Just like the snake sliding off the the gun and the little dragon thing out of the phone. Yeah. It was a part of the phone case. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was part of the phone case. That's what it was part of, because you could see it on the back otherwise. Yeah, even like the bracelet, like the, the bracelet, or whatever. Yeah, that was... Stuff like that. They kept the symbology really cool, and I like that when you use symbology and it actually has a meaning. Well, I think, and it, almost to tie this back around to sort of our origins with this movie is, I remember when they first announced it was coming to Shudder, me and you watched a trailer for it, and I think even what we said then was like, don't know how horror it's going to be, but it looks inventive. Yeah, exactly. It looks creative. I know. I was like, well, you know, you're getting this little walking tiger thing. What the fuck is that? We'll find out. You have to watch it. And when you do watch it, it totally makes sense. Everything that you saw in that trailer that might be, you know, you might be in the air about, it lands. It, yeah, it lands. Fuck, I just keep thinking of that fish pond. It was so It cool. was really cool, man. There's so many things that she did right in this film. It really makes me look forward to some of her future works. I know you and I both, we've seen that she's in work with Del Toro on some kind of like werewolf, werewolf project. Werewolf Western? What? I know. We might end up with like another werewolf poster right next to Dude, the new dog soldiers. Werewolves <laughs> and wolves and shit like that. Another one of those huge things that we might take for granted, but they take advantage of. It's something that's revered and mm-hmm. you know told in, in stories, folktales, etc. I don't know if I have much else to say about this, though. I no, brought like up said, Atros. So. I know we... we uh, like I said, it does Multiple remind times. us of a lot of films. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird parallel, but it does remind me of Atros. Ab- absolutely. Like I said, it reminds me of all these different films, too. Devil's Backbone reminds me of... You mentioned it, Pan's Labyrinth, films like that. City of Lost Children. I know it's not a horror film, but it reminds me of that because these are orphans. Mm-hmm. Just things like that. And it gels really well because these kids are believable. The director, she had a vision. She pulled it off. I know that they didn't have a huge budget. It was a moderate budget. We keep mentioning the bleakness. I also want to say this is a lot happier movie, too, than we're it, making it sound. It is. I mean, there's there's hope in this film. There, you know, there's a sense of that. The ultimate message is one of hope. Right, exactly. And it, of empowerment. And... But in the same token, too, is like, you know, you have to take in the fact that this is something that is real, that's actually happening. So don't get lost in just the fairy tale aspect of it. It's like there's a larger picture that that they're all trying to convey mm-hmm. shit we haven't decided next week have we no we haven't not yet <laughs> so we're gonna go do that probably while getting more high always <laughs> and while we do that we're gonna hope that you hit subscribe on however you're listening to us right now that would be super duper duper dandy also if you would use however you're listening to us to rate and review us because that helps get the word out to more people than you going around and bugging people you actually know ever could. <laughs> and you don't have to put yourself in that weird, uncomfortable circumstance. Right, even if it's anonymous, just, you know, let us know. 
And with that in mind, you can always also check us out at our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Alternate ways of listening to us are linked there, as well as our entire back catalog, the latest episode, always streaming down at the bottom, the portals to our Instagram, the Twitter, and the Facebook, as well as being able to contact us through the website, or you can hit us up, squirmcast at gmail.com. Please do. Yeah, we love hearing from you. If you just want to say hello, if you have movie recommendations, maybe you have some suggestions, we're always open to ideas. We've mentioned this before, too. If you have a film that you might need some help with getting some other listeners in on, we're always up for reviews on that as well. So just let us know. Yeah, and I'm Tyler. I've been Danny the whole time, I think. Fried squirms out. Out.